how's, how's everybody doing today? Doing well. How are you? That's good. That's good. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourselves. I'm I'm Caleb. I'm here with uh, Doug Stewart, the CEO. Uh, what's your exact title again? Yeah, I'm the CEO of the Libertarian Christian Institute. Uh, we are the number one Christian website, libertarianchristians.com, for libertarian Christianity. That's awesome. It, it is a great website. I go to a lot. <laughs> I'm also joined with uh, Carrie Baldwin. Is that how you say your name? How do you say it? Yeah, it's Carrie Baldwin, and yeah. I'm an independent researcher um, with a degree in philosophy. I've got my own website, mereliberty.com, and then I'm also a contributor at uh, the Libertarian Christian Institute. That's awesome. Okay, so I think t- today I'm sitting down to talk to you guys about the uh, book you wrote, The Face Seeking Freedom. A great book. I absolutely love it. I loved it, and I hated it because I was working on my own version of the book to give out, and then I found your guys' book. I'm like, oh, well, I guess I, I don't need to write mine now. This is a better one. <laughs> I know how you feel. For the last 10 years, I know how you feel. What <laughs> <laughs> I love about the book is that it is a question, uh, questionnaire sort of thing. You know, you have a question, you can just flip to it like a resource book and get the answer nice and short and sweet, and it really gives you everything you need. It is incredible. Yeah, well, we, we appreciate your uh, enthusiasm for that uh, format. We, we worked really hard at keeping it succinct and making sure that people can use it either to jump around or view it as a conversation that two people are having, you know, back and forth with kind of a Q&A going on. Yeah, so let's see what I'm into. Um, so what does God have to say about government exactly? You're Christians, you're libertarians. What's the connection here with God and government? Carrie, you want to start with that? Um, Sure. Yeah. So, well, the idea here is that, you know, scripture does have something to say about civil governance. Um, And there's lots of opinions out there about what Christians believe uh, the proper role of government is and how much government we should have and, and what they should do and or not do. And so we take um, a view that, uh, the libertarian uh, perspective on political philosophy is most compatible with uh, what scripture tells us about civil governance. Okay. So, um, so and libertarians live in a small, uh, people who don't know libertarians live in a small local government, not too big, very low budget, small, fiscal responsi- fiscally responsible. Some people always equate libertarians to anarchists as if all of us are arguing for no government, which is frustrating in itself. Um, <laughs> one of the main libertarian principles is the uh, non-aggressive principle. And so how does that tie into uh, scripture? If you get, or is there, a, is there a connection there at all? Yeah, well, I would say that, you know, what you just said there about what libertarians believe, I would say that they're, if, if you're wide enough in your view of what it means to be critical of the state um, and to be in, <clears throat> I would say in, in paying attention to what's going on in the world around us, the, the libertarian uh, umbrella, if you will, uh, would also include what would be called uh, a sort of anarcho-capitalist. So uh, where voluntary action is the ideal, it's the the goal to which we should you know, pursue in society. And a lot of libertarians will say, well, you know, that, that requires a very minimal state. Like the, and, and part of it is not about like, oh, 
it depends on how, who's justifying it, but it, it really would be come down to, in a lot of ways, to, well, how much of the state can be justified? And the very minimal justified uh, ability of the state is to basically enforce the the notion of freedom and free market and voluntary exchange. And if people are doing things involuntarily, like that's the bare minimum that, or, or the, I should say bare minimum, that's the maximum that the state should be involved in, in at all. And, you know, there's always a debate as to like, you know, what constitutes a state? Does it mean mm -hmm. like something like we think of as a federal government, state government, local government, like what exactly does, does all that mean? And that's, that's obviously really in the weeds, but um, with respect to the non-aggression principle, um, you know, the scriptures are pretty clear um, that <laughs> we're not supposed to, that, that Christians especially, and I think I think the call in the scripture is for all people to treat one another with respect, to treat one another in nonviolence, and to treat, treat society in such a way as the goal is that it, there's something, um, as Leonard Reed said, uh, anything peaceful. Uh, that's kind of the kind of the idea there. So, I mean, I don't think it takes reciting a million verses in the scripture to realize that God wants us to be uh, peaceful toward each other. Exactly. Exactly. I agree. Carrie, do you have anything you want to add to that? Or? Yeah, um, I think, you know, the non-aggression principle is just very simply that we aren't supposed to initiate um, uh, force or violence against uh, anybody else. And, um, you know, that sounds maybe a little uh, ethereal, but it's it's quite simple in scripture when, you know, scripture says thou shalt not kill. Um, it, it's saying that you cannot initiate that violence against somebody else. You shall not steal. Um, we can't take somebody else's property. So, um, you know, the non-aggression principle, I think is very intuitive when it comes to scripture. Um, and scripture certainly has a lot more to say about what is right and what is wrong. Um, but we would also say that uh, the role of the government, um, the role of civil governance is only to address rights violations and not um, all aspects of morality. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's good. One of the common objections uh, thrown towards libertarians in, in general is that we're all just selfish. We only care about ourselves. We're all, we're all Ayn Rand objectivists, apparently. Mm -hmm. um, and I got to point out people like, no, no, I'm not selfish. Libertarians aren't inherently selfish people. You know, I've, I don't know how many, how many times people have told me, you can't be Christian and libertarian because that means you're a selfish person. Like, that doesn't make any sense mm -hmm. to me, you know? Mm -hmm. um, okay, let's see here. I have another question. So, I, I mean, I, I know it's a little confused here. Um, so, one of Christians' uh, objections to libertarian I always hear from Christians is that God made the all governments are ordained by God, therefore all governments have the authority of God, therefore we shouldn't be able to rebel or reject government authority, as I've always been told by all the typical big government conservative Christians. What would you say in response to that? My first question to anybody who sort of cites like Romans 13 to say, well, all governments are authorized by God, is to ask how far are they willing to go with that? Are they willing to preach that uh, on a hilltop in Germany in 1935? Are they willing to preach that in Vietnam and Cambodia in 1972? Um, at what point do people who are oppressed and, you know, oppressed can be a wide variety of things, but let's just take the really obvious oppressed, right? The things that no one would disagree is a rights violation by the state. How far are people willing to actually preach this message that, oh, well, this is ordained by God. Um, so that's kind of the first thing that I go to. Um, and, and, 
after that, it's more like, well, then what does X verse mean? Because people are going to say, well, what does it mean after that? And, you know, the simple answer is read our book because we want to <laughs> sell our book. But the uh, the the even simpler answer is that there's a matter of there's a matter of prudence going on. And just because you read a propositional statement in the first few verses of Romans 13 doesn't mean that it's it's within its own context saying what you think it means sitting you know in your sitting in your easy chair reading it in modern america where you don't have the situations that paul was living under and that other you know christians were living under in the first couple centuries i'm sure carrie has some additional thoughts but those are kind of my initial rather combative reactions to people <laughs> saying that god ordained everything the state ever has done yeah i think um you know I think some Christians who say that want to make room for the possibility that God is working through providence. Um, and that's, you know, it, that's a deeply theological concept that, that we don't really need to get into, but basically it's a question of, you know, what is the difference between what God allows versus what God wills? And uh, it doesn't make sense for God to will or to or, or to want the state to act um, against uh, against His own moral will. So, if Scripture says that we cannot kill, right? Thou shalt not kill. It doesn't make sense that um, you can kill so long as you're, you know, a member of the state. Mm -hmm. um, and that actually, that view actually incentivizes. Um, the worst of the worst to just, you know, get themselves in, in government so that they can have a license to uh, to do whatever they want. And that's inconsistent with scripture. And I think, you know, even with, with Romans 13, I think uh, the context for that is Romans 12. And the, 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 the verse immediately preceding Romans 13 is Romans 12, 21, which is um, do not become overcome by or yeah, do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so, um, you know, the, the context of Romans 13 is very necessary. Uh, it doesn't make sense that whatever the state does is uh, ordained or, or uh, willed by God. Um, and we do have to grapple with that question. Well, what about Hitler? What about Stalin? What about Mao? Um, because then we create a contradiction and um, and that becomes a problem, a, a huge problem for Christians, not even libertarians, but Christians specifically. So um, I think that's an inconsistent view. And uh, we explain more about that, I think, in our book. Yes, yes. Um, so let's move on to laws. You know, like in a free society, there has to be limits on freedom, right? I mean, we can't all be running around doing whenever we want, whenever we please. But that just seems like who gets to decide the guardrails of society, you know? That just seems weird. So, but shouldn't there be limits on absolute freedom, you know? Should there be limits on individual freedom, or? Well, I guess, you know, where I would I would ask, you know, what what is meant by absolute freedom, um, because nobody has absolute freedom. We don't have the freedom to initiate violence against other people. So. Um, you know, libertarianism is based on the idea that freedom is is limited, but it's limited in a particular way, number one. And number two, where it's not limited, um, in other words, you know, where we're acting voluntarily, 
um, you know, peacefully with one another, then in that regard, there should be no law. There's there's no good reason to, um, you know, to have a law in the, in that case. But I wouldn't say that libertarians believe that we have absolute freedom. It's it's uh, it's limited. I agree. I agree. Yeah, being on Twitter, active, act, being active on Twitter like, like myself, you get you so many arguments from the big government, Christian, like the Michael Knowles, Matt Walsh, Daily Wire types, who really don't understand libertarians at all and just attack us saying, oh, we're just liberals who want everyone smoking pot and doing whatever they want. And it's like, we just we just don't want people saying you can't do that with a gun. You know, like I have to, I don't know how many times I've had to explain to them that every law they argue for is enforced at gunpoint. Mm-hmm. Right? People yep. just don't get that. Yeah, including tinted windows and uh, <laughs> and <laughs> vehicle tags. Yeah, yeah, it's those whole that whole cop situation going these last few weeks, all about the the police. It's been I've had to, I mean I don't know about you guys, but I've had to get off of Twitter because I can't stand seeing all these people defend a cop for suing a twelve year old saying, "Well, he had a gun, he had a gun." It's like yeah, he dropped it. You know, it's just. It's mad and it's, it's driving me insane. Okay. Um. So, what about uh, the common good? A lot of conservatives, a lot of Christians say there has to be a common good that we can all gather around and work towards, and the common good has to be defined, enforced, and protected by the state. What is the what would be a good response to a uh, conservative who pushes that against a Christian libertarian? Oh, wow. So <laughs> this is such a loaded. Well, no, no, it's all good. Um, it it if you were able to see me, I was rolling my eyes. Um, <laughs> I am I am in favor of uh, not abandoning the concept of the common good. However, um, I, I believe that's a good term. But I also believe that those who want to use that term are using it in such a way um, to sort of covertly usurp authority over others because what they want is they have an agenda they want they want you to subscribe to their idea of what is good for everyone and what is good for everyone is a phrase that's like tough to define because well what if something that's quote-unquote good for everyone is actually not good for some people um then it's not actually good for everyone and therefore it's just kind of self-defeating um, and so when people say that the government needs to sort of enforce the common good, I know what they mean. And, and many people are actually a, a lot more nuanced than what I'm sort of describing here. So if you have, you know, listeners out there that are, um, you know, like, wait, that's not what I'm thinking. I understand there's a there's a there is a deeply um, nuanced uh, way of understanding the common good and how we all participate, participate. And it it, it also is sort of, you know, emerging and, and organically growing and all that. However, when you have a government defining what is the common good. What you have is actually some individuals defining the common good mm-hmm. at the expense of other ideas of the common good. Now, it's possible, and even, I mean, to some extent, in modern America, I can imagine that the the bare-bones basic notion of common good is pretty well accepted by a lot of people. But how do we even achieve that? So even if you have a common definition, my goodness, we don't even know how to achieve it. Like, for instance, if we if Carrie and I sat here and said, yep, we should have, you know, equality of of opportunity among every everywhere. I don't even know if that's something we would say we need to do or if we agreed with everybody who sort of uses the common good as like, yep, we need those. Those are good goals. Very good goals. 
Well, Carrie and I would say we need more markets. We need a free market in healthcare. We need free market in police services. We need a free market in uh, licensing of uh, well, we wouldn't even do like gun licensing or um, occupational licensure or whatever. And all of a sudden, the conversation on how do we achieve this common good is like it's over because the people who want to enforce the common good say, oh, but if we do it that way, it's not going to actually happen. Oh, really? Well, then why? Because Carrie and I would just sit there and debate them and, and we would we would argue into nowhere. So anyway, that's a bunch of random thoughts. Carrie can add to that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, the common good is, is usually a moniker for, um, you know, we want a particular um, societal norm to be enforced, right? Um, and Doug's right. I mean, who gets to decide who, who gets to decide what that is? And, um, you know, it may be, uh, you know, part of the common good that uh, everybody has access to grocery stores. Um, and that's certainly, uh, that's certainly a, definitely a good, um, but how do we achieve that? Do we achieve that by the state managing all of that and trying to centrally plan it and, and orchestrate, um, everything that would go into that, all of the, uh, supply chain, um, all of the, um, uh, you know, everything to right down to running the, the business itself. On the other hand, you know, you've got more controversial issues like, um, say, vaccines, um, where you have a lot of people who believe that um, everybody needs to be vaccinated in order to um, achieve the common good of public health. Um, And you have lots of people who are opposed to that for a variety of reasons, from they just simply don't want to, to maybe they have um health health reasons why they can't take it so um and and then what are we going to um you know use violence use the violence of the state in order to achieve what we believe is a common good i mean you know one example <laughs> that's is very recent of what people believed that was in the common good were uh you know was 15 days to flatten the curve and then lockdowns and uh, that was something that society, at least the majority of society, believed was um, in our best interest and for the common good. And it's turned out to not be true. So, um, you know, yes, we, we, uh, we would agree that there are good things that we all hold in common. Um, but how we achieve those things uh, is is very different. And we would say that they're best achieved uh, through the freed market, through voluntary um, through voluntary exchange, and not through the strong arm of the state. My response has always been: once you decide, once you start enforcing the good when you're in swords, when you're eventually out of office, the next guy's going to enforce his version of the good, and mm-hmm. that's what's going to change. To which the response was: only smart people like me should be elected. <laughs> yeah. Which was, I, I just had to stop. Um, <clears throat> so how would a free society that you guys are in, arguing for and talking about handle things like environmentalism and global warming or climate change? Yeah, um, 
I would say the, the, the starting point to that is we would enforce actual property rights. In fact, we, we were kind of talking about the non-aggression principle earlier on, and that also sort of pr- is predicated on the idea of property rights. Not only do we own our persons and the, the product of our labor, um, we also deserve to be you know protected from that. So you would have a lot less... Um, Let's just start with pollution as the general idea, not not pollution as in like, oh, it looks bad, but that it actually affects someone else's property. And so you do have a large amount of industrialization going on with very lax property rights in favor of the uh, bigger corporations who are doing certain things. Part of the environmental catastrophe that if if we want to call it a catastrophe, but I'm fine even saying that there's a major problem. Um, part of the issue is that early on, especially, we didn't know what was actually really, truly harmful. We discover this along the way, and you know there there are efforts to you know sort of protect those things. But had we had better property rights earlier on, it wouldn't matter because a person could say, you know what, I don't I don't want that ugly sludge going through my part of the river, and you know what, you're not allowed to do this. Um, you're affecting me, or you're you're killing me, or whatever it might be. Um, and there could be either, you know, repayment or there could be restitution, um, or there could just be, you know, prohibition on, on certain things. Um, so that'd be one thing. The other thing that's really important that we have to talk about with environmental concerns is the use of technology and the use of, uh, inventiveness and entrepreneurship in that arena. There are so many ways that we can actually resolve this problem that have been, uh, not, and I don't want to say it's like, oh, if there's only three ways, there's three ways to solve it, and if only we could do them, we'd be done this problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean that there are a lot of really good solutions on the table that the people who are whining the most about the destruction of the planet won't even give a hearing at the table. And that is where the, even just the market of ideas, just those ideas being out, I mean, let alone the fact that there's no market for these things and that the, the free market can't just you know work, do its job. Even if the state the governments around the world were to be in charge of solving this climate problem, like the good solutions out there that are, you know, tested by science, um, they're not even be they're not even being allowed uh, uh, any any you know hearing. So um, that would be kind of a start to it. Yeah, the government is like, why fix the problem when you can simply tax everybody to try to fix it? <laughs> you know, it's yeah, right, which isn't going <laughs> to fix it anyway. Mhm. Yeah. I love how they say, even if we did everything, we, they say, if we did everything the environment has wanted us to do to the most minute detail, we'd still be screwed. So why bother doing it? You know, I just these people are <laughs> oh, such. The I remember. Twenty years. I remember about fifteen years. Well, I was probably more than fifteen years ago. It was probably twenty years ago. Or so I was actually kind of becoming a libertarian. So forgive me for the person I'm about to quote, but I remember mm-hmm. listening to a Glenn Beck show. Um, and he was reading an article that said it was somebody like of, of stature in the environmentalist movement saying that even if we do everything, we're actually past the point where what we're doing actually matters. And his response was, so can I buy a Hummer now? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I just I will always remember that. I'm like, look, if you're going to tell me that it's fruitless, then what are you trying to convince me to do here? Yeah, well, and I, I think there's also something to be said about because, you know, Doug, you mentioned that we discover things as we go along. Right. Um, and there's something to be said about even the brightest, you know, inventor environmental scientists out there. They aren't prophetic. 
Um, and, you know, yes, we can identify problems, um, but just because we identify problems and they propose solutions doesn't mean that those solutions are going to work or that government even needs to be the one to implement them. Um, you know, this all goes back to that whole idea of the common good. Um, who's, who is best equipped to achieve um, these goals? If we want uh, a, a clean environment, it, it is not evident that the state is, is necessary in order to achieve, to achieve that. Um, so I, it, it seems, I mean, people get frustrated with, with libertarians because we always throw it back to the, the free market. We say, well, the free market will, will solve this problem. And um, people get upset with us for that. And it's like, well, we aren't the central planners. We don't want to be the central planners. We can't be central planners. We don't have that kind of knowledge. Um, but we do know that there are brilliant people out there um, who have very innovative ideas, who need the space and the freedom in order to actually do that. And then maybe we can really achieve a more cleaner environment. Earlier, you mentioned uh, property rights and self-ownership. Is there a good argument using scripture or theology for self-ownership? Well, I think, you know, if if I'm not allowed to murder you, then that means that you have a negative right in your, uh, you know, in your body. You have a negative right for me to not aggress against you. Uh, scripture also talks about us um, being stewards of, of ourselves, taking care of our bodies and taking care of our property, even investing it. We've got the parable of the talents. Um, but I think that the most succinct way to describe self-ownership from a Christian perspective is to say that in relation to each other, we are self-owners. So I own myself, you own yourself, Doug owns himself. But in relation to God, we are self-stewards. God's given us a stewardship over ourselves. So ultimately, we are owned by God, but he's given us a responsibility to take care of ourselves. And inherent in that responsibility is also the right to take care of ourselves. And that's where self-ownership comes in. Hmm. I like that. That sounds good. Um in a, in a free society, who will protect the kids? You know, a lot of people point to the side protective services and foster care as ways to get kids out of bad homes. That's it, that's the argument they make. I'm not agreeing with that. I think that's dumb. But in a free society, what is a good way of uh, protecting children from abusive homes and abusive situations? Uh, well, I guess I'll take that one again. Um, you know, first of all, there's there's no reason in the world. In fact, we we have in existence right now private versions of of uh, child protective services. Um, we have private versions of foster care systems. We have private versions of um, you know uh, crisis centers that are designed to uh, help families who are struggling um, with abuse or 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 whatever it is and. So those systems actually already exist. Um, they are at the mercy of Child Protective Services, I would say. Um, so if we actually deregulated that, uh, then they would have more freedom to, to expand and operate. 
Um, and of course, there's uh, when I say that, there's probably a lot of people who will sort of bristle at the idea that we deregulate or even abolish child protective services because we do have that very knee-jerk reaction. Somebody needs to be able to protect the children. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are countless, countless examples of child protective services actually committing crimes against children, uh, foster care systems harboring pedophiles, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, CPS going after uh, Christian homeschool families just because you know they're teaching their kids uh, a curriculum that isn't in line with the state. So, you know, as it exists today, the family courts and child protective services are incredibly toxic and harmful to children. Um, So it's no solution. What we have right now is no solution. Um, And there are uh, real examples of of private options available that would only uh, expand and innovate if if they were given the opportunity to do so. Uh, Doug, do you have anything you want to add to that? Or? No, I I don't really. Um, I think what Carrie said was pretty adequate. Um, mm-hmm. I, I tongue in cheek, I would say buy the book. <laughs> 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 if if you want if you want re- an answer to rehearse and 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 kind of have at the ready, I mean that's kind of the point of our book too. So yeah, if you haven't got the message yet, anyone listening, go out and buy the book. It's incredible. Uh, we only have a little bit of time left. I'm going to ask one more question. Nice and easy, super breezy. Uh, how would a free society deal with abor- abortion? Super um, easy, huh? Super easy, yeah. <laughs> Go out on a light one, I know. This is definitely Carrie's wheelhouse. Yeah. So um, in that case, you know, I, I I would absolutely recommend getting the book in order to understand the, the abortion uh, chapter on that. Um but uh, again, in fact, one of the things that I do in the book, and um, I guess I'm going to deflect your, your question a little bit. One of the things that I do in the book is to actually talk about um, how a libertarian pro-life perspective is more consistent than a conservative pro-life perspective and how our mission as uh, pro-lifers wouldn't really change all that much, whether we're living in a society where abortion is legal or not. Um, and so I do sort of um, uh, parse this, those ideas out. Um, but the short answer is libertarians not only can be pro-life, I argue libertarians should be pro-life, that abortion is a violation of the non-aggression principle and the self-ownership of the fetus. Um, I think that uh, in many ways, uh, pro-life libertarians have more in common with pro-choice libertarians in that we both agree that the freed market should handle, uh, you know, these issues. We shouldn't have the government intervening or subsidizing or or whatnot. Um, and there is a case to be made for uh, for making abortion illegal uh, in a libertarian society, but I think it's a strong case. And in that case, I would defer you to the book. Okay. Uh, well, this has been a great time. I've had a lot of fun. Uh, thank you both for coming on. Where can people uh, find you at if they want to get more? Or where can they buy the book? 
So you can purchase the book on Amazon. It's called Faith Seeking Freedom. If you go to faithseekingfreedom.com, you'll be able to find information about the book, uh, some blurbs. I think there's a free chapter download and a free study guide for the book for group or personal you know, reflection. Uh, you can also find us at libertarianchristians.com. And of course, Carrie is at mereliberty.com. So you want to check her, her stuff out too. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Well, this has been the Libertarian Book Club. Uh, go buy the book. Bye, everybody.